Today, we're going to talk about a topic we've never discussed on this podcast before. Designer clothes, style, and artificial intelligence. Imagine swiping right on clothing items from your favorite brands that you've never seen before and having them automatically saved to your cart. Your cart spans multiple stores, but you only have to check out once. Soon, the app is suggesting brands and clothes you've never tried before, but you love them all. You're dressing better than you ever have before. The Yes, co-founded by Amit Agarwal and Julie Bornstein, formerly of Stitch Fix, does just this and says their AI can become your best personal shopping assistant. My producer Alice tried it and assured me it worked really, really well. I personally tend towards jeans and t-shirts myself, so I'll take her word for it. Amin, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you here with us. Peter, glad to be here and looking forward to the conversation today. Same here. I mean, this is a very different topic from anything we've covered so far. <laughs> Clothing, style, fashion. I'm really excited that we're, we're getting to cover this with you. Before we dive into the yes specifically, um, I'd like to kind of go back a bit earlier in your life. I mean, you're a seasoned technologist. You worked at many of the leading tech companies. How did you go from you know, working at Google, Bing, Inktomi, Groupon, to ending up working at the S, in fact, founding the S? If I think about sort of my experience, there's a common thread um, of what I've done over my career, which is the way I think about it is that my career has been about using data and machine learning to build great consumer experiences. So when I was at Microsoft, I spent a lot of time on uh, the Bing search engine. This was almost 15 plus years back, but we were at that time using uh, neural networks to do web search ranking way before you know they become became really mainstream. And so, you know, in, in that case, we're sort of using AI to do web search ranking. At Google, we're using a lot of data to use build advertiser tools. At Groupon, I was building personalization technology. So the common theme across all of these things was the idea of really leveraging data, machine learning to build personalized and re relevant user experiences. And the genesis of the yes, to some extent, is, is the idea that Despite all of the, that work, despite all of that advances in AI and machine learning and personalization, if you think about online e-commerce today, it is pretty much one size fits all. And, um, and while we all talked about personalization and AI for a while, it doesn't show up in the user experience as much as we would like it to. And so we started the yes with the idea of we can solve that problem. We can reduce the overwhelm that exists on, in online e-commerce shopping where you're inundated with choices and pages and pages of products that you have to go through to find out what you're looking for by kind of bringing the idea of personalization through AI and machine learning to users. And that's why we built the Yes. Now, that's so interesting. Uh, I mean, what typical site would go to the shop if I go, let's say, buy some new tennis gear for myself. I mean, I'm essentially checking off a bunch of boxes like, you know, menswear, um, maybe sh shorts. And I, I specifically kind of have to narrow it down to, to kind of see the things I want to see. But the yes is, is very, very different how it's set up. Can you say a little bit about when for the first time somebody visits the yes, what's the experience like? And how does that evolve as they visit more often? 
Yeah. So the uh, you know we started uh, we launched the first product as a iOS app, and when you download the Yes app and start using it, the first thing that you do is you go through a account creation and and you answer some questions, and these questions really give us a sense of who you are and your preferences around style and what you buy. And it's a set of questions that are strategically built to get the maximum understanding of you as a user and your preferences to train our machine learning algorithms. And once you've uh, finished that quiz that takes maybe 10 minutes, you land on a home feed. In some ways, you could think of this as a store, as your store. It's as if you were entering your store. Kind of, our, our vision is that if you have, uh, you know, let's say a million, five million users, we should have five million different stores. There's no reason that you and I, when when we go to an online store experience, enter the same store experience. You know, if the store is a kind of online store, there is no capital cost to building that store other than software. And so all of us should have their own store. So anyways, you kind of complete this quiz and you land on the home feed and the home feed is your store. Uh, it is as if someone created a store just with one customer in mind and that's you. And so that store has the sizes that would fit you. It doesn't have any products that wouldn't fit you. It is the styles that you would like. It's the brands that you would uh, want. So that's the idea of the feed. Uh, and and really it's kind of re- reducing the overwhelm that you see in more traditional e-commerce where you're seeing everything and then you have to remove the things that you don't like. The idea of this store is that it is, it is your store. Further, a really key concept in what we're doing is this idea that the store is it won't be perfect, but it needs to be constantly learning and evolving and getting smarter and having sort of almost that conversation with you to try to understand you. And so we have this concept of yes and no in the product, which is, you know, anytime you see any piece of content on the on our app, you can either say, yes, I like it or no, I don't like it. And the system is getting smarter. It learns from those choices that you're making about what you like and don't like to to learn more about you, to evolve its understanding of you and get smarter and get better over time, which is really key. You know, we, we realize that the goal of personalization or AI is not to give you the perfect product every time. I, I think that we would be too arrogant to think that we, that we could do that. It is more to kind of build this store around you and learn from you all the time. And this, which is what the yes and no does. And so one of the kind of important, two, two important concepts, one, we're building a store around you, two, it's getting smarter almost in real time as you interact with it. Now, it's very interesting because what you're saying there, you can't always perfectly recommend because, I mean, people's, I imagine most people's taste will also evolve over time and what was great for them yesterday, maybe not next week. And maybe, you know, if, at least for me, if I buy jeans today, probably I want maybe something else like a t-shirt tomorrow. Yeah. So... I'm curious, as somebody signs in, what is some of the important information that you have to collect such that you can correctly personalize that store? Yeah, this is where, by the way, you know, one of our core beliefs is that in order to do great personalization, you have to go deep into the domain. And I'm kind of, maybe I'll come back to your question, but we really believe in the idea that in order to do great personalization, you have to go deep into the domain. There's obviously techniques around more horizontal general personalization, sort of collaborative filtering is an example where you don't really need to understand the domain deeply. You really use user behavior data to personalize. 
but we believe that has limits. So what we've done is uh, gone really deep into the fashion domain to understand what matters. And there's maybe four things that matter for fashion when, when people think about the buying decision. Number one is style. You, you talked about tennis clothes and shoes, and so you might have a style there. You'll buy some types and not other types, and you'll be open to, you know, there's going to be a set of styles that you would never buy. There's going to be a set of styles that you always buy, and then there's going to be another set that you're going to be open to. So style is really important in the buying decision. You know, size and fit is really, really important in the buying decision, and also whether the, whether the customer keeps the product or not. Price is always across e-commerce is a, important buying decision and then brand also plays into the buying decision so these are the four key uh, areas where that influence the buying decision where we want to personalize so the questions that we ask are kind of geared towards getting an understanding of these things and typically you know what we've realized is we've done more and more users research is that the way to learn about these questions is not necessarily to ask the question like for example if you go through our quiz uh, you won't see a question that says what price point do you buy at and the reason we don't ask that question is users themselves don't know what price point they want to buy at, and it changes all the time. And it's, it's you know, even if you ask that question, we wouldn't get an accurate answer, and it would become out of date pretty quickly. So we actually don't ask that question. We use other ways of learning about that question. So that's one principle that we use is, you know, how can we get data that is easy for the user to answer and is actually stays uh, relevant over time. I'll give you one example, maybe to illustrate uh, the work that we've done on how we ask the question. So, for example, think about style. We could we could simply ask you as a user, what what do you like? What styles do you like? Do you like contemporary? Do you like modern? Do you like boho? And you know, the challenge with that is that a lot of users don't necessarily know what they mean. They might actually. Even if they know, they might have a slightly different connotation to be associated with these words. Um, and so that's that's not necessarily, uh, doesn't work that well. So we experimented with this idea of what, we, what if we sh- showed them an image of a product and said, do you like this image? Do you like this product from a style perspective? And the issue is we did user research. We noticed that users would try to answer that question, but they would actually really have a hard time understanding what aspect of style we're asking for. Are we asking about the color, the pattern, the silhouette of the product? What are we interested in? And so if you go to the uh, our quiz today, we actually showed three images as a cluster and said, do you like this cluster? And these three images are actually automatically done by our machine learning algorithms. So the machine al- learning algorithms figure out kind of style clusters and pick these three images to ask the user. And what that does is that when you show three images, the user uh, human mind is really good at focusing on what's common between them. And they say, well, okay, I understand you're asking me about color. These are all white. So you're asking me whether I like white or these are all, uh, you know, stripes. I ask, uh, I understand you're asking me about stripes. And so uh, this is an example where uh, this is actually a really, really uh, interesting, fascinating example of how it's an example of AI, which is behind the scenes along with humans, AI that is finding clusters of styles along with a user interface innovation where we're saying we're not going to ask about a textual question or a single image we're going to ask about three images because that's the most efficient way of asking it together working in concert to kind of help the process of personalization that's so interesting Ahmed. i mean on the podcast we've had many guests talk about the importance of data and having the right data have it labeled 
correctly and a great example that's come back many times is self-driving cars you need to label the data that's experienced and you need to actively go collect the right data that's interesting in your case here it's yet a different way of achieving the right data because you're saying that one data point at a time is hard to label correctly but once you show three images in this case the human labeling process is going to be much more precise and you actually get the signal that you want and the neural network can pick up on the signal and internalize what what the person actually cares about yeah ex exactly and, and i think i think you're spot on it's uh, how you label data is a super important thing in this case we're getting our users and users to label what's important to them and then learn from that now you talk about style which I think it's probably, I mean, it's definitely what I first think about when you'd say like a, a shopping assistant that helps me. I mean, they should help me identify things of the right style. <laughs> yeah. But you also mentioned other things. You mentioned size. And I mean, especially on the women's side, size is, is often not just one number. It can be a pretty multi-dimensional concept to get the right fit that matches the person and so i'm yeah. curious how do you go about that i mean that's very complex i imagine to figure that out yeah it's a um, i would say it's a very very complicated problem and we're at uh, you know this is an area where there's enormous opportunity if you think about the impact of being able to clearly uh, figure out fit is huge from a customer perspective you know uh, like a lot of reason customers are frustrated is because something that fit them and they have to return it but in you know thinking even bigger there's a huge environmental uh, effect of this you know there's a lot of like in, it brought more broadly in the industry return rates can range from 30 to 40 percent which is basically if you think about it uh, you know that's 30 40 percent of the products went to the customer and went back uh, without any transaction happening that's wastage that if you if you could prevent that that's going to be great for the environment as well so um, it's a really important problem. I would say we're maybe five, ten percent done on that problem. The the first step of solving that problem is actually really simple, which is sizes are not consistent across brands, and so a small on one brand could mean a medium on another brand, and and so you know there's no consistency, and that by itself is actually a important problem to solve because a user might understand their style size in one brand, but when they start buying a new brand, which is by the way, one of the things that we try to do is introduce them to new brands. They don't understand the size there. And so that's a problem that we've solved with data where we kind of learn from our data and map different brands to a common taxonomy of sizes that we've built. Uh, and that really helps, uh, you know, when I was talking initially, I said, well, your store only contains the things that would fit you. So we automatically do that behind the scenes. We understand what size fits you, let's say in one brand, we can automatically map it to all the other brands and only show you the things that would fit you in any brand across our entire platform. So there's, that's a uh, that's an important problem to solve. Beyond that, uh, I actually think there's a lot of opportunity in going deeper. You know, size is one thing, which is what size would fit you the best. But uh, going further, the problem really is whether it would fit you well. It might be the best size for you, but doesn't mean it will fit you well. And that is a much harder problem that there's data challenges with that problem, which is how do you actually get the exact measurement of products? You know, there's no clean data around it. If you order every product and measure it, that's too expensive. 
you know that that's not scalable that's super expensive so there's um, unsolved data challenges there how do you get the size of a user accurately there's lots of unsolved ai and uh, user interface challenges users typically don't want to buy a you know 500 camera and then take a picture of themselves to get their size you know that's not a user interface that works so you know is there a simpler user interface and a simpler and ai technology behind it that can really seamlessly without much friction from the user get an understanding of their size you know i think that's a problem that we think about so i would say you know there's a lot like it's a multifaceted problem and potentially a big area of um, impact for, for ai now as i'm thinking about everything you described so far i'm trying to wrap my head around what happens as somebody visits the store so they've, they've come in they've given a, a few i mean they've given feedback on a few prompts about things they like don't like and then somehow there is a neural network behind the scenes that now makes a decision i can say a bit more what is that neural network doing at that point what what is it taking in and what is it then producing the neural network is taking a, in all of your answers so for example if you um, had gone into the app and said yes to 10 products and no to 10 products it can then use that data to um, you know kind of predict what styles you would like underlying that really high level description of the problem there's a number of technical problems that are being solved uh, number one technical problem that we spend a lot of time on is that uh, we try to represent, uh, create a child representation of every product, kind of a child DNA of every product. Think of it as a, in, in kind of machine learning terms, a embedding of every product that is built um, to represent that, that embedding is a style embedding. It represents the style of the product. And there's kind of a lot of work there that we do using computer vision because a lot of style is visual. But once you have that embedding, then you can teach a neural net what embeddings this user would like. The biggest challenge is that the data is small. We're not talking about uh, thousands of examples from the user. Um, the data is small and it's actually a little biased because you know users are not, you know, it's not like they're getting a random sample and they're saying yes and no to that. So they're, they're just saying yes and no to what they're seeing. So that's a big area where we've spent a lot of time thinking about how to improve that. Obviously, you know, this, you know, the embedding helps there, you know, because the constraints is uh, um, the learning problem. Uh, obviously, we can use data across users to uh, increase the amount of the data. But really, what we're trying to do is with a small number of data points from the user, kind of learn their style. That's so interesting. I'm envisioning every user gets turned into essentially an embedding that captures exactly, you know, their style, their size, everything. And now these embeddings, am I hearing this correctly? They, they get matched up with embeddings of clothing. You can take in an image of clothing and maybe some other specifications and a neural network can turn that into an embedding of its own. And then you can try to find matches. Yeah, exactly right. I, I, th I think that's a, that's a really good high level description of what we do. When you take this in, of course, there's many ways to take things in. Um, for the user you take in, shopper essentially swipes to provide preferences does the shopper ever also maybe take a picture of themselves is there anything else they, they can do to help this process yeah not today not today we we, we don't um you know there's no, no such functionality in, in the app today that does that but um 
that's maybe a good idea <laughs> for uh, you know we, we we obviously have to be kind of mindful of uh, you know what users want to do whether they want to do that whether they have concerns around that um, and but but uh, you know one of the things that we've thought about is uh, typically users have pictures on their phone and you can now run machine learning models on the phone and so there's potentially a way where those models could be run on the phone without actually having to upload the pictures anywhere and where they, they you know in some ways find that embedding for the user on the phone itself i see you could even find pictures of the user wearing things they bought in the past that they like and and analyze right. that now on the other side you have to also understand in principle everything that's available right i mean the best experience the best shopping assistant should look at all the clothing that's built, being produced anywhere in the world and find the best things. Yeah. How do you go about that? Yeah. So, you know, our uh, core to our business model is that um, idea that we need a bit, big selection. And so um, our business model is based on what's called dropship, which basically means that we don't carry any inventory. We don't have any warehouses. Uh, we never touch product but we integrate with uh, our brand partners using technology and tap into their inventory. What that allows us to do is that it allows us to have a bigger catalog over time because there isn't capital expenditure for us to onboard new products or new brands. And so that allows us to give our customers access to a, uh, to, to a much larger catalog. So we're, we're, you know, we, even today we have a pretty big catalog, but the, like it's a, the question you ask is, is a great one and it's really fundamental to our business model. And so over time, because we're integrating using technology, we, we want to have pretty broad and maybe the biggest brand selection uh, out there on our platform. Now you work with all these brands and the drop ship process means they will do the, the shipping that's right. for you and i imagine returns processing how do you then take their clothing into your system we spend a lot of time building a technology platform to do that and we use a um, variety variety of different ways in some cases our brand platforms will give us a feed of data in other cases we can tap into apis that their e-commerce platform has so if, you know, if a brand is on something like a Shopify, then we can tap into that through APIs. Uh, and we've also built some pretty deep crawl technology that can go crawl the website of the brand uh, to ingest all of the products that they have along with the data. Pretty much the only thing we need is the image of the product and the description of the product and the price, of course. So those are the three main, main things that we need for any product. We don't expect any taxonomy. We don't expect any attributes because pretty much everything else we can extract using AI and machine learning. That's actually, by the way, a big application of AI and machine learning is that we just given a product image and product description. We can pretty much infer almost about a thousand attributes about that product using AI. So we've built that platform that goes crawls, gets data from different sources, feed, APIs, crawl, and then a layer on top of that that normalizes everything automatically. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting because, I mean, I was thinking about internet search engines crawling the web to find all the latest, but you're essentially, you have an engine that crawls all stores, all clothing stores, mm -hmm. online yeah. clothing stores. N not, not all of them, the ones that we partner with. So we do, like, we, we're not a search engine in that sense. You know, we everything that we crawl 
or sell on our platform, we have explicit partnership with that brand. Well, but yeah, I imagine it's a good idea for the for pretty much any brand to partner with you if people shop through you. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. there is no exposure to their brand, right? Oh, yes, that, that's the goal uh, long term. Now, it's been a year since you've been live, actually a little over a year at this point, right? Um, yeah. Any any lessons you've learned from how you thought it's going to go and then what actually happened when you went live? Yeah, well, I, I think some, some things that went as as we planned or hoped was, you know, number one, I would say there's validation of the of the basic premise of the product and the basic pain point, which is the basic pain point that we started off with uh, is customers are overwhelmed with choice. They don't have a place that understands them and it gets smarter about uh, what they want over time. And that premise, uh, you know, we, we have customers who say, you know, they will have a hard time going back to the old way of shopping. They're so enthusiastic. They come back, they look at stuff very often. The repeat rate is high, really high for those customers. And, and, and the feedback that we get is we, I can't imagine how I would shop without this. Um, so, uh, so I, I think that basic pain point uh, exists and, and that has been validated. The other thing that we, um, hoped and kind of turned out to be true is that customers would be willing to share information with us and kind of give their feedback and engage. And so, for example, I talked about this yes-no functionality where users can give us feedback. Turns out that you know, when we started building the product, it wasn't obvious that users would engage with it. It turns out that, um, you know, from the very start, uh, users have been engaging. They love it. They love the idea of uh, it's almost sort of uh, they feel like it's a entertaining thing for them to give that feedback, and especially entertain like good if we if they see the you know impact of it if they feel like there's ROI. So that has been really good. We've we get a lot of data from our customers, and that was you know when we started we we. I hope that would happen. We thought that would happen, but that was always a risk. You know, there's not much personalization we can do if you don't get the data. The third thing that I would say is that, um, you know, one thing that we've learned is, uh, you know, personalization is super important, but the core fundamentals of e-commerce, which is, you know, having a broad selection and having good pricing are really important as well. Uh, you know, users uh, rightly so care about going to a place where they can find things and they can be they're, they're sure that they have the best pricing so you know those are areas that we're, we um we we've sort of we're thinking more about and doing more in, and in fact bringing ai and machine learning even even to those areas as i mentioned you know we we make it really seamless to integrate brands so that we can carry more brands and that's an area where we're using ai a lot you know even on price you know how we offer you know we're not a discount retailer but we want to give them the best price if possible uh, so those are areas that we're investing more in. Who are your kind of most prevalent or you know power users? If you think about this domain and the buyers, there's uh, you know my, my co-founder Julie Bornstein has been uh, you, you you mentioned her in the beginning has been in this domain um, for a long time. She talks about uh, four uh, kind of groups of customers. Um, there's a not interested customer. There's the easygoing customer who, um, you know, is really not so much um, interested, is not aware of brands, is very easy going about what they buy. And then there's a fashion follower. So the fashion follower customer is someone who knows about brands, you know, what they are, but at the same time is looking for inspiration from uh, really the fourth group, which is the fashionista. So the fashionista is the one who really knows what she's looking for. 
and is really uh, aware of all the brands, the styles, is aware of what her style is and is aware of what exactly she's looking for. Those are the four groups if you were to roughly segment the whole market of users. And we really go after the fashion follower and the fashionista. So our platform is not so much for the not interested or the easygoing, but more for the fashion follower, the user who's kind of really aware of the brands she wants to wear, but it's looking for more inspiration, more ideas, new brands that are coming up that she's not aware of. And then the, the fashionista who's really uh, knows what she's looking for, but is, needs help with search and searching exactly what, uh, what that is. It seems from the other side, for brands, you could play a very big role for new brands to be discovered, right? I think you're absolutely right. If you take that analogy of uh, we're building a store for every user, and so let's say we have 10 million users, we have 10 million stores, every store is different, a new brand comes in. If we can help them be placed in the right stores, in the stores of the users who would like to see that kind of a new brand, you know that's value both for the user because they get to discover and for the uh, brand because they get to discover their users. That's really kind of the true promise of a marketplace in that way. Very interesting you use that word discover because I'm obviously not the, the biggest shopper myself, but when I talk with people who go buy new clothes and so forth and they're excited, often part of it is that they discovered something new, right? Yeah. And are you worried at all that you make it too, too easy so people cannot actually, you know, have the discovery experience? You know, discovery is a big part of our algorithm. The goal of our personalization algorithm or the technology that we've built is not to show the product that the user would buy right away. It is it is to help them in their journey of uh, looking better. And that journey does include discovery. You know, traditionally, personalization algorithms do have this issue that they really narrow down into the things that you've done before, you know, especially the ones that are based on user behavior data, we really kind of focus on the things that you've done before. And, and so you, you users get bogged down in, in that place, in, into your own bubble. Uh, there's two things that we do to prevent that. One is that um, a big part of the algorithm is discovery. So we, we're not necessarily trying to say, what product would you buy? To some extent, we're trying to say what product, what product you do not want to see. And we kind of remove that. And then among the rest, can we provide you diversity and inspiration? That's one. Number two, I think this idea of yesing and knowing a product is important because what it does is that we can explore more. Uh, we can be more aggressive about showing things that you might not like, but that's okay because you have this way of, of telling us. You know, in most experiences, you think about it, the, the reason you can't explore much is because there's no real-time, explicit, clear feedback from the user. We have a real-time, explicit, clear feedback from the user so we can explore. And then if the user doesn't like, we'll adjust right away and, and fix it. Now, when I think about this, I mean, as I think you know, I, I work a lot in reinforcement learning, right? Mm -hmm. And part of what you're describing here also reminds me of reinforcement learning, the exploration process, and then finding the right thing and essentially guiding the shopper through a journey rather than a, a one-time decision. So I'm, and, and I know reinforced learning is still in much earlier stages, machine learning technology-wise than, yeah. than supervised learning, but I'm curious, is there already some reinforcement learning happening under the hood here? Honestly, uh, not a lot. Uh, we're in the early stages of exploring it. Uh, I think it's a good fit. 
for what we do because you're, you're absolutely right. We think of this as a journey and reinforcement learning is a great technique for us to explore using. I think we're getting at the point where we have the data to do it. So I would say it's a great direction for us and we're in the early stages of uh, exploring that. Well, I'll be excited to hear more about that when uh, when that starts happening in, in full force. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm curious, the yes is what you've been working on the last few years. But before that, you were at Groupon, which seems to have some connections. You were at Bloomreach, yeah. which I think must have some connections. So I'm curious, are there some lessons you learned there that you brought with you as you're building the S? I would say from both Bloomreach and Groupon, one key lesson was personalization is important. Understanding the user is important. Giving them a relevant experience that they feel is relevant to them is important. I mean, we saw that at Groupon, that the personalization technology that we built had a huge impact. And then at Bloomreach, I worked, um, you know, Bloomreach was more of a B2B company. So we built technology for other brands and retailers and I worked with a lot of them. So this idea of personalization and providing a experience that's tailored to the user and a dynamic experience is, you know, just kind of both of those experiences reinforce that. I would say one thing that I learned, though, on the other side is that uh, it's really hard to go fundamentally change the user experience if you are a established business. It's kind of a very risky thing for an established brand or any business to fundamentally rethink how to do things, to fundamentally change the user experience. And that limits how much you can do. That's number one. Number two, I learned that um, this idea of thinking about AI as a black box, uh, where you know you you have an AI algorithm and it'll come up with magic, is I think um, has limitations because it sometimes oversells the potential of the algorithm. But more importantly, I think users are not looking for that perfect recommendation. They're actually looking to have a conversation. They want to understand the decision they're making. They want to have an influence on that decision. And they want to feel like what they are having to offer is being used. And so this idea that, you know, you know, you want to build an AI algorithm that does great behind the scenes is probably not the right direction. And what we've tried to do is sort of combine the UI and the AI and have them work very closely. And I gave maybe a couple of examples of that. Third one is, I think domain knowledge is important, you know, in order to solve some of these problems, you know, you really have to bring the domain expertise into, in, in, to train the machine or to think about the problem. And that's important to solve some of those problems. And that's something as well that we've brought to the yes, you know, that's the reason we're starting with the domain that we are in. You know, over time, we might go into other domains, Well, you know, as we go into other domains, it's going to be a very, with a very deep domain focus. So some of the, you know, those are some of the learnings uh, in, in how we've applied. As you think about, you said you're, you're very focused now, but now what if, if you zoom out a little bit and think about the future of fashion, clothing, retail, right? And the role of AI and technology, how do you envision this will be five years from now, 10 years from now? You know, I think of AI as software, like it'll be uh, like what software uh, is today, which is pretty much every business, every part of that business is 
impacted by software and improved by software. I think I, I think of AI as the same, which is you know, we're really, for example, right now focused on applications of AI to search and personalization, and that's been a core focus. And you know, I think there's enormous amounts of work that we will continue doing in that space, whether it's uh, personalization, size and fit, you know, a style, all of all of those areas. Eventually, AR, VR. But, you know, pretty much we want AI to impact every part of our business, whether it's customer service, whether it's how we integrate with brands. I talked about, you know, when we integrate with brands, we use AI to normalize all of that data. We're going to continue doing that so that there's less and less uh, manual involvement needed there. Same thing with customer service. I think there's a huge opportunity to make customer service much better by leveraging AI. Um, there's a huge opportunity, for example, I mentioned returns as a problem in the industry. There's a huge opportunity to apply AI to bring that return rate down substantially. Um, so, you know, I, I view AI and the you know, applications of AI very broadly. And I feel like in five years, we'll, we'll not think of AI as something we apply to a specific thing. It's actually going to be in some way, shape or form be used in every aspect of our business. Now, that's so interesting. And, and you really, I mean, it's a very broad scope. The one thing I'm also curious about, especially with my covariant hat on being very active in warehousing and so forth is, is that side of things. And you touched upon returns, like reducing returns, the amount of returns processing. I'm wondering even beyond, if we think about manufacturing and logistics all integrated, do you see any, any trend where things could be tailor-made effectively, where it it can be tailor-made for a specific person just in time. And then <laughs> that's ex made exactly for them. I mean, obviously today, tailor-made clothing is very expensive, but yeah. do you see a path to that also? That's a fascinating idea. Uh, really fascinating. Uh, I guess maybe you have more of a, like we're, we, we haven't thought that much about the, um, you know, logistics side of the things in the warehouse and manufacturing, we rely on our brand partners for the most part. But yeah, I, I, I really um, think that's a fascinating idea. We've gone through a very special time. We're kind of still in this special time with the COVID pandemic, right? And it obviously affected many people in many, many ways, including a lot of people started doing a lot more of their shopping online. And of course, the Yes yeah. is an online platform. And yeah. so I'm, I'm curious, how did you experience COVID-19 from a business perspective? What did you see happen? Yeah, you, you know, we were uh, supposed to launch in March of 2020, right around the time uh, we locked down. Um, and so obviously, you know, our first decision was to delay that launch because it was uh, an uncertain time and probably not the best time, given the uncertainty and what was happening outside, to to launch a new shopping platform, um, and we eventually launched in twenty twenty. You know, it just gave gave us much more time to really fine tune our uh, user experience and our product. So that was a good good opportunity for us to take a step back and use the time to uh, fine tune it. You know, there's two things that happened with uh, with COVID. One is I, I actually think it really accelerated. The move towards online e-commerce and there's plenty of data that shows that maybe you know it accelerated it by three to five years it was all already a, a pretty clear trend towards online e-commerce but you know what covid did is accelerated it uh, and so you know that's good for us you know we 
have a bet on online you know the yes is only online shopping commerce and that's you know we've always believed that that's the trend even for categories like clothing where you know the penetration of online e-commerce is lower than other categories uh, we've always believed that it's going to go in that direction if anything covid has accelerated that in the short term there was certain categories that did better during covid more like the loungewear and so on but we're seeing sort of uh, you know since the vaccine we're seeing things getting back to normal and we're seeing a growth in our business and kind of uh, the, the normal diversity of categories that users are going back to. So really at a high level, it's just more of a, um, just an acceleration of that trend that we see. Now, you raised $30 million in 2019. Any plans on that front and any directions you're growing the team into? Yeah, so uh, yeah, you're right, we raised 30 million and um, you know we launched our uh, iOS app last year in May as I said, we spent a lot of time fine-tuning the product. We, we reached a point where we we're really happy with our repeat rate and the engagement of the app. Earlier this year, we uh, launched the website. So we're kind of trying to bring that same technology and same experience over to the website to cover kind of a broader set of users. Uh, not everyone is on an uh, iPhone. And so that has gone really well. Um, you know, I would say our business has grown really, really strongly in this year, since the beginning of this year. Uh, the website has done really well. Uh, the app that we launched continues to do well. Uh, users are engaged. Our engagement metrics are good. You know, revenue is growing really solidly. So we're really focused on that. And at some point, we'll raise another round. Now, you're founder of the Yes, and many of our audience they're always curious about you know how do you decide to start your own company, and what are some of the maybe key lessons and takeaways you'd like to share for other people thinking about starting their own companies? You know, I'd worked at a number of companies. I'd worked at big companies, you know, the Googles of the world. I've worked at medium-sized companies like Bloomreach. You know, Bloomreach, I would say, was a startup, pretty small when I started. And through that journey, I'd realized that I love building. Uh, I love building more than scaling. And what's better uh, than to start a company to build? You know, if you're if you're a builder and you like building, there's nothing more fascinating and more fun than building something from scratch where you have nothing but an idea and you're building a product, you're building the technology with zero lines of code. This idea that, you know, nothing existed and now you have this company platform product is, is really fascinating and it's a fun journey and nothing like that with respect to learning. And so that's that's really the reason I wanted to start a company was to build something from scratch. You know, the only other things I had in mind was that, uh, you know, whatever I work on, it should be a huge market. You know, market is important. It should be about technology and product innovation. You know, there's many ways you can start a company, including process innovation or business innovation. But, you know, being a technologist, I cared about being at a place where that was uh, about technology. And that, you know, that the team, that we could build a great team because at the end of the day, the startup journey is uncertain and you know, there's no certainty about the direction, but you need a very good team. And so do you have the ability, are you uniquely positioned to create that team for this domain and this problem? Those are the three uh, important things that I cared. And, you know, I, I think um, the lesson that I've learned is it's uh, it's a lot of fun. There's nothing like it. You know, no amount of uh, building a new business within a big company. Uh, you know, people say that's a startup within a big company. There's nothing like a startup within a big company. A startup is very different and it's it's a, it's been a lot of fun for me. Things always don't 
shape up the way you want them to. They always take longer than you think they will. And, um, you know, that's okay. You just have to have the resilience and the right team and the right conviction about the idea to keep going. Well, those are some great lessons. And also, I mean, clearly it's going really well. So you made, you made the right decision here. It's very exciting to see how the us is coming together. Amit. One thing I would add is I've been in technology for a while. The pace of innovation that's happening right now is mind boggling. And one of my biggest, uh, mistakes previously has been not keeping up with the innovation. And I actually think this is a time of unprecedented innovation that we're seeing in all kinds of fields, but AI and machine learning and the adoption of technology across companies is just at their unprecedented pace. The willingness to adopt technology, the willingness to uh, change the way of thinking is unprecedented. So it's, a, you know, I, I'm really excited about where we are with technology. There's never been a better time, even in my career of the pace of, uh, of advancement. It is a really exciting time, yes. <laughs> Especially in AI, things are, are moving so fast the last five years and seems only faster every year. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, Amin, thank you so much. This has been an absolutely wonderful conversation. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it, Peter.